All right, so what I want to ask is how many puzzle people do we have here today? How many puzzle people do we have? Okay. Well, to be honest, I'm not a huge puzzle guy. For me, it just takes way too much time and effort and patience uh, for not a whole lot of reward. Um, But I've done enough of them with my grandma and and even some with my kids to know this. If you're going to do a puzzle, it's extremely important to keep the box cover in front of you as a reference point, right, as you're putting the puzzle together. So what we need to know is what the picture or pattern is in order to know what to work toward. And so as we dive into our text this morning on marriage and attempt to start putting the pieces together, I want us to keep in view the biblical pattern or picture that serves as our reference point, and that is the relationship between Christ and the church. It is the lens through which marriage is understood. It's the standard by which marriage is judged. It's the hope upon which marriage is founded, and it's the goal to which marriage is headed. So with that in mind, let's read what Paul says together in chapter 5 of Ephesians, verses 31 and 32, so that we all, both married and single alike, can set this picture before ourselves as we begin. This is what Paul says, beginning in verse 31. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Our first point this morning is submission and respect as unto Christ. Wives, Paul says in verse 22, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of that wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Verse 33 says, And let the wife see that she respects her husband. We might not understand all that this entails yet, but we do know from what Paul said in verses 18 through 21 that one of the ways that the Holy Spirit filling manifests itself is actually in the act of submission. But what exactly does it mean to submit? The Greek word here for submit is hypotasso, which literally means to put or arrange under, to subject oneself, to yield one's control, to obey. It's a military term that carries the idea of arranging troops under the command and authority of a leader. And those last four little words in verse 22, Paul says, as to the Lord, those are key. They show who ultimately the the submission of a wife is directed at. In other words, wives are to aim their submission at the Lord Jesus but it must not fail to pass through their husbands along the way. Submission to one's husband is a sign of submission to Christ. Now, a concept that has gained a lot of popularity in recent years within the church is the concept of mutual submission. So while Paul commands wives to submit to their own husbands in verse 22, this view understands the phrase submitting to one another in verse 21 to imply an action that's going in both directions. 
But the phrase one another in Scripture does not necessarily imply a reciprocal relationship. Context is what determines that. So we could give numerous examples, but take, for instance, Luke 12, 1. When so many thousands of the people had gathered together, they were trampling one another. It wasn't that every single person was trampling every other person. The point is that this action was happening within the multitude of people. As Christopher shared two weeks ago, within the surrounding context, verse 21 actually serves in part as more of a transition or header for the sections that follow. So Paul in verse 21 is not flattening out the instructions he gives afterward to husbands, or excuse me, to wives, children, and slaves, but rather he's framing them for us. Now, further reinforcing this ordering of a wife under the authority of her husband is the body head analogy in verse 23. So the wife like the body, is understood to take her direction from her head. She does not act independently of him, except where submitting to him would mean disobeying the clear commands of the Lord Jesus. Paul concludes his instructions to wives in verse 33. He says that they are to respect or phobet their husbands. This is the same Greek word he uses in verse 21 when he speaks of submitting to one another out of reverence or phobeto for Christ. The word carries the idea of showing respect, deference, reverential obedience. It speaks of a wife's demeanor toward her husband. So if her actions are to be characterized by submission, her attitude is to be characterized by respect. Ultimately, respect is how a wife shows that submission has gotten down into her heart. Submission... um, just, this, just know that Paul's instructions here to wives, just as his instructions to husbands a little bit later in our passage, these are not arbitrary or random, right? He's speaking to our weaknesses and our temptations. And I believe you can say it this way. We ultimately, as husbands and wives, are to relate to one another again as Christ relates to the church. So if you're a married woman, here's what I believe Paul would say to you today. You are a body, and you are a bride in not one but two senses. As a member of Christ's body, right, so that's one sense, God has called you to submit both to your heavenly and your earthly head, right? There's the second sense. For this reason, except where the two are at odds, any failure to submit to your earthly head in attitude or action is a failure to submit to your heavenly head. To say it positively, your faith-filled submission to your imperfect husband is to God a sweet submission to your perfect bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is why it's so immensely important for us to keep the puzzle box in front of us because we need to maintain as our reference point the relationship between Christ and the church. So wives, what are you to make of all this? Right? Like, what, what does this mean for you? One of the things that it does not mean is this cultural idea that headship and submission implies superiority and inferiority, right? Let me say it again. Headship and submission does not imply inferiority and superiority. And this could not be more clear than it is in 1 Corinthians 11.3 where Paul says, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, And the head of a wife is her husband. 
and the head of Christ is God. For while the Son of God humbly submits to his Father as his head, he also does so willingly as his equal. Wives, the same is true of you as you submit to your husband. I think at times because of cultural pressure and also because of too often, um, sadly, abuses we have seen within the church and within the home, shameful abuses of, of authority, the word submission has almost become a dirty word. And yet to Paul... And I would argue to the Lord Jesus, it is a beautiful word because of what it represents. Ladies, just ask yourselves, kind of just doing inventory here, as you hear that word, does the word submission, does it sound sweet? Is is it as beautiful to you as it is to Christ? When we see these abuses of authority within the church, within the home, the answer is not to adjust or to abandon the biblical teaching. The answer is to return to it. As Christians, our responsibility is not only to defend the biblical church, uh, excuse me, the biblical truth, but also to demonstrate the beauty of that truth in the way that we live it out. This is how we're to provide a compelling witness to the gospel. Therefore, to give your sweet submission to your husband is not a surefire way of wasting your potential any more than submission to Christ is. It is rather the very best way to find it and discover all that God has made you to be. But I want to caution uh, wives here. By calling you to submit to your husband, God is not calling you to turn off your brain or to be a doormat. Right? Your man needs your support and respect, but he also very much needs your thoughts, your perspective, your wisdom, and your spiritual insight as well. He needs your help in all the ways that you can give it. Now, I doubt this is going to come as a surprise for anyone, um, but I've got more issues than a magazine rack. And yet, one of the things that I so appreciate about my wife is that despite my many flaws and failures... She always leans into my leadership. I can't remember a time that she's ever publicly shamed me or demeaned me by throwing me under the bus or rehearsing my sin. She regularly offers thoughtful suggestions and invites me to lead. She faithfully prays for me and looks for ways to encourage and honor me. Wives, are there any areas where you have resisted or withheld submission from your husband's leadership? Does your husband know that you respect him? Do others know that you respect him? Or do they get the impression that following him is life's greatest burden? How might you more faithfully build up, encourage, and show respect to your husband by your words and actions? How might you more accurately reflect to the glorious reality that you represent. But note what Paul says at the end of verse 23. He says, Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. 
Right? Paul is hinting at something here that we'll see much more clearly in a moment, and that is while Christian husbands cannot and ought not seek to replace Christ as Savior, they are nevertheless called, indeed commanded by God, to imitate and point to Him. That's our second point this morning, love as modeled by Christ. Look at verse 25 with me. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her, that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, so that He might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their own wives, excuse me, their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. Now, husbands, lest you mistakenly thought that Paul gave you a blank check in the first couple of verses, let's read verse 25 again slowly. We need to feel the weight of this. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Gary Ricucci rightly said that the role of a husband does not begin at the altar. It begins at the cross. You and I are called to love our brides in the same manner as the Lord Jesus loved His. He didn't just talk about His love. He proved His love. And like Him, we are to spend and be spent. We are to cheerfully lay down our wives, excuse me, lay down our lives for our wives. Biblical masculinity, says Pastor Douglas Wilson, is not the reluctant acceptance, but rather the glad assumption of sacrificial responsibility. Brothers, if there is a crown of authority that's worn by the head, it is a crown of thorns. If ours is a self-serving headship, if it's a headship that doesn't bleed or take the hit, it's not Christian. For Christ's love was a self-sacrificial love. What love? What love? But Paul tells us that it was also a sanctifying love. He gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her. Christ gave his very life for the express purpose of marking out the church as the object of his special love washing her with the water of the Word, purifying her from sin, and preparing her for Himself. We don't have time to explore all that these, how these various clauses work together in, in verses 26 through 27, but here's what I believe Paul would have us to see. 
If we're going to accurately reflect the model of the Lord Jesus, we have to observe both the manner but also the mission of his love. We cannot rightly love our wives unless we are actively working toward the same goal as Christ. This may be the most important yet most underemphasized aspect of our role as Christian husbands. We talked about this some at our marriage workshop this weekend. But men, are you aware that a great part, if not the greatest part, of your responsibility as a Christian husband is to help prepare your wife for the day when she will meet her heavenly bridegroom face to face? Are you conscious of the fact that your wife is more Christ's than she is yours? Do you stir her faith and whet her appetite for Christ by your own example and pursuit of Him? Are you faithfully praying for her and tenderly caring for her in areas of sin and weakness? And how about this? Are you following Christ's example by washing her with the water of the Word? Men, to my own shame, I waited far too long to prioritize leading my wife and children in the Word. I was always too busy and assumed they could wash themselves. Setting aside regular time in our schedule to read and discuss the Word, it seemed like a good idea, but, but not a necessary one. But then I was confronted with passages of Scripture like this, that emphasize my responsibility to promote and even administer the Word to my family. But what's even more important is, are we leading them in obedience to it? Husbands, what place does the Word have in your marriage, in your home? The Lord's putting His finger on this. Particular areas, one, for needed growth. I just want to prepare you that one of Satan's greatest tactics against Christian husbands and fathers is to shame them into perpetual inaction and passivity by reminding us of our past failures, by questioning our sincerity, or by causing us to doubt God's faithfulness. He's actually going to meet us in our obedience. Do not take the bait. Repent where needed, and then let the prophet Hosea's words be your words to your household. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. Gentlemen, I hope and trust that when you see your bride, you see a beautiful woman. But regardless, we must remember that Christ's love for his bride was not conditional. It was not the result of his bride's beauty. It was the cause of his wife's beauty. And he gave it to her in order that he might remove all her, our flaws in the end. And likewise, Paul never conditions the submission and respect of the wife upon the quality of the husband's leadership. Nevertheless, if I've had one burden for our men, right, for our husbands, but really for all the men of Risen Hope Church over the last several years, it'd be this, that we would be the kind of godly, selfless, courageous men that are worthy of respect and following. John Bunyan once challenged husbands to be such a believing husband to your believing wife that she may say, God has not only given me a husband, but such a husband as preaches to me every day the way of Christ to his church.
man, what if our wives could say that of us? That is a worthy goal of shooting for. I believe it's what God would have for us as husbands. Wives may be called by God to submit to their husbands, but as husbands, we ought to endeavor by our love to make it as sweet and as easy as possible. Look again at verse 28. Paul says, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. For he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Now, there's that common phrase among parents that you don't have to teach your children how to disobey, right? They kind of come out doing that. Well, in the same way, you don't have to teach a husband how to love himself, right? Like that is happening, generally speaking, quite naturally. But Paul's point here is not merely that husbands ought to love their wives in the same way that they naturally tend towards self-love. His point is that in this mysterious one flesh union we call marriage, loving your wife is loving yourself. For this is precisely how Christ loves and thinks of his bride as his own body. You are likewise to think of your bride as your own flesh, your own body, and apply that same level of care to her. The word Paul uses here for nourish is the same word he uses to describe a parent's responsibility toward their children in chapter 6. It carries the idea of nurturing something in order to bring it to maturity. Therefore, if our wives are a garden, then we, like Christ, are to cultivate them by our love. We are to tend them with the goal of seeing them flourish and blossom into all that God has designed them to be. As with submission, love too, we'll see here, manifests itself in an attitude as well as an action. That, that word that Paul Um, uses as translated cherish here is in the Greek the word thalpa, which literally means to cherish with tender love, to foster with tender care. And get this, to keep warm. Seems kind of a random idea, but here's what I believe Paul's meaning, right? So he uses it elsewhere to describe the way a nurturing mother cares for her child. Husbands, it's our privilege as well as our responsibility to keep our wives warm. And one way we do this is by drawing attention to their gifts and helping them to see where God's grace is at work in them and then encouraging them in that. Another is by simply treating them and delighting them as the precious treasure that they are. Ultimately, your wife is going to know a lot better than I how to keep her heart warm. But husbands, let's ask ourselves, what is the temperature of our marriage this morning? And would your wife agree with your assessment? If by our physical and emotional distance, our neglect, our harshness, our disinterest, our half-heartedness, and our selfishness, we have left our wives with cold, hard, withered hearts, then we have repentance in order. Repentance first to God and then to our wives. If we have forgotten or distorted the picture that we refer to, then we must turn back. Remembering the love of Christ and committing again to faithfully pursue our wives with the same wholehearted, warm, and tender affection that we've received. 
And we need to do this in desperate dependent on God because love is as much a fruit of the Spirit as submission is. Band, if you could go ahead and come up. Church family, these are not the only instructions that Paul gives to husbands and wives, right? But they are certainly fundamental elements to biblical marriage. And a biblical marriage is an apologetic for the gospel. Or as I've heard it said, having a rightly ordered, rightly functioning, and rightly motivated relationship between a husband and wife is how we preserve gospel centrality in our marriages. I want to close in this way. First of all, I just want to commend the many godly husbands and wives we have in our church. It is not hard to look and find a godly marriage in our church. That is a gift from God, and all the glory and praise goes to Him. But secondly, I want us to conclude not just by reflecting on the puzzle, but on the box. Right? We need to take in and wonder at the fact that we have not gotten lost in the shadow, but we have gotten caught up in the reality of the thing. Right? We are a part of the mysterious union between Christ and His church. We are, by the free grace of God and the boundless love of Christ, members of His bride, His body. So wives, where you've failed to submit and respect, look to Christ. See His perfect submission to the Father all the way to the point of death on a cross for you. Husbands, where you failed to love and lead, look to Christ. Behold His tender, faithfully pursuing, and self-sacrificial love on the cross for you. Look at that love. And married and singles alike, when you are tempted to bail or to covet someone else's marriage, look to Christ. For all those who are in Christ, He is preparing a place for us, and He is preparing us for that place of eternal joy and perfect union with Him. And and His grace is sufficient for us in whatever station He's called us to at present. Let's consider and adore Him now as we sing, reflecting upon the perfect love and submission of the Lord Jesus. Let's sing together, Lamb of God.